Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. First things first, we'd like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Uh, we're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Tonight's guest, Sylvia Schultz, is the author of 44 Years in Darkness, Hunting Demons, Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State uh, Hospital, and Ghosts of the Illinois River. She has spent the past 19 years working in a library, slowly smuggling words out in her pockets day by day to build a book of her own. (laughs) She sits in dark, (laughs) haunted places so you don't have to. She lives a short 10-minute motorcycle ride away from the haunted asylum that uh, that features in so many of her books. She considers it the highest privilege to share the incredible, compassionate history of the Peoria Hospital. After battling an intense lifelong of the dark, Sylvia decided to become a ghost hunter. And as a paranormal investigator, she has made many media appearances, including a part in the Ghost Hunters episode, Prescription for Fear, about the Peoria State Hospital. Sylvia loves hearing from her readers, especially when they have spooky stories of their own to share with her. She can be found at sylviaschultz.com and on Facebook at the pages for Fractured Spirits and Ghosts of the Illinois River. Uh, before we go any further, well, first I want to say that was an excellent, excellent bio. I love it. Oh, best one ever. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. It's great. And before we do it, our official introductions, uh, here is my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne, who is going to tell you a little bit more about Sylvia's latest book, 44 Years in Darkness. Yeah, that that's a great bio. I, it is. I, I always make <laughs> stay silent, but it made me giggle. Okay. In the middle of the 19th century, Rhoda Derry spent decades trapped in a Utica crib, locked away from the world, battling mental illness. In the depths of her despair, she began to self-abuse. She clawed her own eyes out. She beat her front teeth in. And what horrible crime had she committed to be abandoned by her family and everyone she'd ever known? She fell in love. Rhoda has been cursed by the mother of the boy she was engaged to marry. Rhoda took the threat seriously, and it drove her insane. She spent 44 years in neglected isolation in an almshouse. In 1904, Dr. George Zeller found Rhoda Derry and rescued her. He brought her to Peoria State Hospital, where she spent the last two years of her life surrounded by caring nurses. Rhoda died in 1906, but her spirit seems to live on. And this is a great book. So here's Sylvia Schultz. Welcome Hi. to the show. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good to be back with you guys again. I so enjoyed oh, doing the show. show. Yeah, it's great to have you great back. To and we try to, We love having you around the Halloween season because we love ghosts and things like this. And this uh, <laughs> 44, yeah, this 44 Years in Darkness, yeah. I have not read it. I'm going to say that up front. I have not read it. But this sounds fascinating. You I have not oh, yet. Yet excellent. is the operative word. Oh, he's read some of it. He's read some of it. <laughs> That's so what he meant. Some of <laughs> yeah, it, but not all of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 We did some, you mean, uh, it's been insane around here, as you know. Yeah. I, I have not, <laughs> I have not really seen yeah. it, so, so I won't give any spoilers, yeah. I haven't, but I have, I have read some yeah. of it, and it's fantastic. It's, it's, I mean, it's, of course, your writing is, of course, really, really good, but this, I, you know, this story, I mean, this is a fascinating story. I love this story. This is it great. Is. Oh, it's yes. true. So stories compelling. are wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. You you have an ability to combine the history, the true history. You are a historian, and mm-hmm. you combine that with the scary stories that are true, <laughs> and it's just so fantastic. Oh, and reader thank friendly. you. So yeah. reader friendly. It, we we it love how you do it. Scary. It reads like really good fiction, the way that it flows. It doesn't feel, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It doesn't uh, feel historical. It's great. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. So I'm curious to know where you came across this story in the first place. This is I've never heard of anything like this. Uh, it is pretty much one of a kind, my goodness. Uh, well, Rhoda was one of the patients at the Peoria State Hospital. When I started off writing my very first book, of true ghost stories, Ghosts of the Illinois River, 
I didn't grow up in this area. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, so I grew up cutting my teeth on things like Resurrection Mary and Archer Avenue and the, the ghostly priests of St. James the Sag and the ghostly monks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I've, I've always been fascinated with ghost stories. So then I moved down here. I moved to about the middle of the state of Illinois and um, just across the river from where I ended up moving permanently, um, I I was starting to work on this book of ghost stories of the area and somebody said, uh, people, everybody kept telling me, they said, oh my gosh, there's, there's a haunted mental asylum just across the river. You got to check it out. And I'm like, really? An entire haunted mental asylum? Oh my gosh, how cool is that? <laughs> I expected some great big huge gothic building taking up the entire, you know, five city blocks or whatever. But it was even better than I expected because what I discovered about the Peoria State Hospital was that it was not something straight out of American Horror Story. It was not a place of fear and pain and abuse. It was a place of caring and compassion, and it's haunted for the very best of reasons. It's haunted because the spirits want to be there after they've passed on. That's where they want to spend their afterlife because they got such good care there during their lives. So I started learning about the history of this place, which is just as fascinating as the ghost stories that come out of it. And I learned about Rhoda Derry. And her story was just so compelling and so heartrending and so nearly unbelievable, both in the mm-hmm. drama of it and, and with the, the drama of her rescue. I mean, this is just something that that Hollywood should just jump all over because it's an amazing story. Oh, I know, seriously. And like I yeah. said in, the, in, the, in my bio, it's, it is my deepest privilege to be able to share this story with people because it is very compelling and it is, it's very interesting as well as being heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Can you tell and us this, a little and, about and this, it? Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is, this is yeah. so, yeah. So I want to hear, yeah, let's just hear this story about okay. what happened to this poor woman. All right, so Rhoda Derry was born in 1834. She was the youngest of nine children, the baby of the family. Maybe a little bit spoiled, but <laughs> we don't know for sure. But she was the youngest of nine children. Beautiful, beautiful girl. Long, dark hair. Um, just absolutely gorgeous. And she was the daughter of a farm family. Uh, when she was 16 years old, she fell in love with the son of a farm family from a neighboring town over, Charles Phoenix. Now, we don't know how far Rhoda and Charles' relationship went, but we do know that after a couple of years of courting, Charles asked Rhoda to marry him, and he said, and she said yes. Now, the dairies were very, very poor. They did not have a farm to call their own. They were not landowners. As a matter of fact, the Dairies spent most of their lives living with other families because they were so poor. Other families took them in. The Phoenixes, mm-hmm. on the other hand, were very well off. They were landowners. And Charles was, not, was, was the oldest son and second child of four children. So he stood to inherit his father's land. Now, his mother, Nancy Phoenix, was absolutely dead set against this relationship. She was not about to have her baby boy marry one of these dirt poor dairies. She would she was not interested in having a bunch of, of freeloading uh-huh. in laws hanging around the place. <laughs> so she she confronted Rhoda in the street and she said, If you do not release my son from this engagement, I will curse you. Now this is something that really would have gotten Rhoda's attention because Rhoda's grandmother, Mal Dairy, was known as the fortune teller of the revolution. Maldary came, uh, Maldary, and this is another fascinating part of it. Maldary actually emigrated to the United, to the colonies from Germany with her husband, Valentine. They both fought 
as Hessian soldiers in the Revolutionary War. They, they defected from the British side, fought on the American side during the Revolution. Mal disguised uh-huh. herself as a man to fight alongside her husband. And after the war, they settled in um, across the Alleghenies, and she became a practitioner of Pennsylvania Dutch hex magic. So Mal Dairy was known throughout the counties as being able to lift and cast curses. Ooh. So talking about witchcraft really would have gotten Rhoda Derry's attention very, very quickly. It's something she uh-huh. really took seriously. A couple of weeks after this confrontation with Nancy Phoenix, Rhoda had some sort of break with consensual reality. She started hallucinating that witches were flying around their cabin. Um, her mother, Rachel, was about the only person that knew how to calm Rhoda down. Rachel would actually keep a pistol in her apron pocket and shoot Ooh. at the witches, at <laughs> the invisible oh witches. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <And Rhoda laughs> wow. flying around the cabin. <laughs> yeah. High drama indeed. But this <laughs> poor girl was just steadily going slowly insane because she thought she had been cursed. Um, her family put her – well, one of the most heartbreaking parts of the story is that after Rhoda suffered this mental breakdown, Nancy tried to come and see her. She tried to, to talk to Rhoda and said, and, and tried to tell her that, no, there, there is no curse. You're fine. You're okay. I didn't actually curse you. But Rhoda would not have anything to do with her. And yeah, she didn't even want to see her, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Rhoda was put into the the Illinois State Hospital at Jacksonville for two years. She was there from 1856 to 1858. Um, She was housed in the violent ward. She was locked in her room every night. And every morning, the attendants would discover her room empty and find Rhoda wandering the grounds looking for Charles. And when they would capture her and, and, and find her and bring her back to the, the, the building, they would say, who let you out? And her answer was always the same. Nancy Phoenix let me out. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever been able to explain that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's just random weirdness associated with Rhoda Derry. Um her family, she was released from Illinois State Hospital at Jacksonville as incurable. Mm-hmm. The doctors could not do anything for her. Uh, her family cared for her at home as long as they could, but in 1860, her mother died, and her father could no longer care for her, so he decided to have her committed to the Adams County Almshouse. Now, there were two, there were several options for the insane in the 19th century. If you could afford it, you could go to an asylum. But if you weren't cured in two years, you were released as incurable and there wasn't any help for you. There was also the almshouse. The almshouse provided a safety net, a social safety net for the poor, but they were not equipped to handle the insane. But oftentimes Uh that was the only place for them. So Rhoda was put into the Adams County Almshouse. Um, She'd been abandoned by her family. She'd lost her mother. She'd lost her fiancé. She was abandoned by everyone. She started to lash out. She became very violent. She developed pica, which is a compulsion to eat inappropriate objects. She would crawl around the floor. Anything she found on the floor, a pin, a penny, a nail, anything she found would go straight into her mouth. She would swallow chicken bones if they let her. So for her own protection, the superintendent of the almshouse decided to put Rhoda into something called a Utica crib. Now, the Utica crib was standard equipment in mental hospitals designed for use simply overnight. Patients Uh would request to be put into the Utica crib. Um, In 1880, there was a a newspaper article written in New York, 
And the reporter said, yeah, I talked to a patient. And the patient said, look, I sleepwalk. If a, if a nurse locks me in a Unica crib at night, I know where I'm going to wake up the next morning. And I'm fine with that. People liked the Utica crib because it represented safety, but not in Rhoda's case. The crib was never designed for use over longer than overnight. They were usually lined with a thin hospital mattress. Rhoda's was not. Rhoda's Utica crib was lined with straw with a strategically cut hole at about hip level. There was a tray underneath just like a rabbit cage and for the exact same reason. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's awful. Yeah, no. she was kept in there for weeks and months at a time. Her hips atrophied because she could not get up and walk around. In the depths of her despair at being caged up like this, she started to self-abuse. She clawed her own eyes out. She beat on her face so much that her front teeth fell out. She spent decades in this situation. It's no wonder she went mad. Yeah. Yeah. There's some photographs photographs that I think I added to the little gallery that spins around. This is is brutal. And, and, you know, for for the people listening, you should be able to see that one. She just looks so wasted. It's just, yes. it's just horrible. Yes. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'll point. I'll point something out about that picture when we get to that point in the story, though. Okay. Uh, okay. Something very, something very important about that particular photograph. Um, so, in 1904, Dr. George Zeller of the Peoria State Hospital made it his business to go around to all the almshouses of the state. He had become superintendent of the Peoria State Hospital in 1902. And he Mm -hmm. felt that it was his mandate to go around to all the almshouses and to collect the most wretched cases. Dr. Zeller felt very strongly that no patient was incurable. So he said, "How how do you prove that? You go out and you cherry pick the worst of the worst you bring into the Peoria State Hospital. He went to the Adams County Alms House, and he found Rhoda there. And and she had been moved to a box bed by that point. She was no longer in the crib. But she was still confined to the bed all the time. Uh, Uh She uh, could no longer stand on her own. She was just completely uh, atrophied and unable to stand. Yeah. So um, Dr. Zeller found her there, and he took one look at her, and he said, this patient is coming with me. And the superintendent of the almshouse didn't want to let Rhoda go because he was afraid that um, that the almshouse would be blamed for her condition. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So the train from Quincy, Illinois, got into Bartonville very late that night. There was a washout on the tracks. So the boxcars in which these patients were being transported, the train didn't arrive at the station until about 1.30 in the morning. So the nurses and the attendants got the call that the train had finally arrived. So they met, went down and escorted the patients off of the boxcars. There were about 60 patients that were being transferred from Adams County to Peoria State Hospital. So the attendants get onto this box car just to make sure nobody's lagging behind, and they see this great big wicker laundry basket at one end of the box car. And they exchange glances, and they're like, well, oh, okay, a piece of clothing. I guess, I guess this comes off the box car too. So one attendant on each end of this great big laundry basket, and they hump it off of the box car, and they set it down onto the concrete pad of the station. And as soon as they set the basket down, the lid of the basket opens and the clothes part, and there sat Rhoda, jabbering toothlessly at the nurses and the oh. attendants. She was oh. being carried in the box in, in the, the laundry basket because her hips were so, so wasted she could not sit in a chair. That night, for the first time in 44 years, Rhoda Derry slept in a bed 
with clean wow. white sheets. Oh. <laughs> so she, the nurses knew her excruciating history, and they waited on her hand and foot after oh, that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, she spent the last two years of her life being cared for by by nurses that just were devoted to her. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can, can, and the photograph, the photograph. Um, Dr. Zeller was very, very publicity-minded. Um, he kind of used Rhoda as his poster child for... Uh, to, to prove to people that the state of Illinois needed state hospitals. They had mm-hmm. to rescue people from these almshouses because look what happens when you leave somebody in an almshouse for 44 years for heaven's sake. <laughs> yeah. right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, he was like, he would, he would show Rhoda to, uh, he, he would let her, let let reporters come and and look at her and she didn't you know she didn't speak or anything, but he was very open about the fact that she was at his institution, and he would show her off to the reporters. He would say, "Look, this is why we need state hospital care." <laughs> yeah, and it said that, it said that Rhoda never smiled except for when Doctor Zeller was in the room. I don't know if she recognized his cologne or his uh, heard his voice, but she knew he was her savior. So whenever he came in into the room, she would just light up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So if you look closely at that photograph, yes, she's skeletal. Yes, she's gaunt. But look at the smile on her face. Yeah. She's beaming. Yeah. So I wow. have to think so she, that Dr. Zeller was somewhere in that room when that photograph was taken because she is smiling yeah. so large. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so even after 44 years of that isolation, he brought mm-hmm. out some of her personality or, her, you know, she was still capable of knowing. Yeah. That's yeah. so wonderful. Did they? Did Did they make much progress with her I know you said that the last two years of her life she was really you know well cared for um what what was her state like when she died I I was not able to find (laughs) um I I was able to find some of Dr. Zeller's notes on Rhoda Mm -hmm. um when you know it, it said that she was rather stout when she got there but I'm not exactly sure how you tell somebody's stout or not when they're curled in the fetal position. Um, yeah. She was very tall, and the the notes say that she weighed 150 pounds when she got to the Peoria State Hospital. So I don't call that super stout. <laughs> not yeah. not if she's like, tall. That's not really stout at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, you can see in that photograph, and I'm thinking – that that photograph was taken in dining hall A where she passed away and she was moved there from her cottage sometime in the late summer of 1906 and she died October 9th 1906 uh so she the, she probably developed tuberculosis in the almshouse but it didn't become full blown until she got to the asylum yeah. So oh. that is the reason for the wasting, is the TB yeah. that was just eating uh, away at her. Um, how old was the nurses? She, she was um, one day shy of turning 72. Oh, she lived a long time. She did. And yeah. that's what Dr. Zeller pointed out. He said, yes, she was trapped in a Utica crib for 44 years, but she had to have had some modicum of care because she yeah. survived. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and those conditions yeah. in the in the alms house. You know what really, really disturbs me about this is this wasn't that long ago. No. In the big scheme no, of things, that was not that long ago. No. It's, it's just disturbing to me. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, horrible. Boy. So, 
I, yeah, I have but to the nurses, you. the the oh, I'm sorry, the the nurses. You, oh, you, no, you were asking about her, you know, how any progress that had been made. I was not able to find any notes on her progress, but we do know that the nurses made sure that she enjoyed the hilltop in any way that was left to her. I mean, she could no longer see, of right. course. She yeah. bought her eyes out sometime in the first 10 years of being in the almshouse. We don't know exactly when. But they, the nurses let her sit out in the gardens and feel the sun on her face and listen mm-hmm. to the birds and, and smell the flowers <laughs> that, whose colors she could no longer see. And they, they took her to dances. The neat thing about the Peoria State Hospital is that there was a, a movie every Friday night and a dance every Saturday night. So they nice. took her to these dances every week and let her enjoy the music. Oh. Oh, how so nice. they, they did encourage her. And she, she was not mobile on her own, but they did encourage her to to go out and be a part of asylum life as much as she was able to. Nice. So That's I think nice. that does represent some progress. I mean, it, yes, it represents definitely. progress over being locked in a crib. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the part that's yeah. hard to believe. I just can't. I just oh, imagine it's just awful. It would, yeah, I can't yeah. imagine spending forty four minutes in a yoga crib without being able to get out. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, um, while we're while we're at a uh, while we're at a kind of a, a breaking point, uh, I'm going to take a minute uh, to do a, a quick rundown of of uh, the station break thing. When we get back, yeah. I'm going to have you read um, an excerpt from this book. Oh, I'd love to. And then we can talk a little bit more about it and get into the ghosty stuff. And but oh yeah, now, yeah for now. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, uh, you're listening to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live, and we're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistercross.com and tamarthorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com, or if you tweet, our handle is at thorncross. Be sure to visit us on Facebook and give our 100 Nights Live page a like. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. And we are here with Sylvia Schultz, the author of 44 Years in Darkness, which is a riveting story that I am currently reading right now and absolutely loving. Haven't finished it yet, but this is good, scary, good stuff. This is just good stuff. And um, we are pleased to have Truly. you. And um, we would be you. thrilled if we, you are welcome. And we would be thrilled if we could hear a little, like an excerpt. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay, title of the beginning of this chapter is Descent into Darkness. Late summer, 1860. In farming communities, this was haying time, one of the busiest times of the year. But in the dairy household, there was no one to send the workers off to the fields, no one to bring sweating pitchers of lemonade or swishel to the men working under the sweltering sun to bring in the hay. Rachel Derry had died. Rachel Bright Derry seems to have been the only person who really understood Rhoda's mental illness. When Rhoda would cower in terror on the floor, whimpering that witches were after her, Rachel would load a pistol and shoot into the air to drive them off. She understood her daughter's affliction. Or, if she didn't understand it, she was willing to indulge it. Rachel died sometime after the information for the 1860 census was collected. When she did, Rhoda lost her ally. It's not that Jacob loved his daughter any less than Rachel did. Jacob just lacked a mother's touch. Barry, Jacob buried his wife in Tioga Cemetery, four short miles from Lima, in Hancock County, just three-quarters of a mile north of the Adams Can just three-quarters of a mile north of the Adams-Hancock County line. Then he turned his attention to Rhoda. In August of 1860, Jacob and Rachel, along with Rhoda, were living with the Jacobs family. According to the 1860 census, the people in the household were James C. Jacobs, age 32, a master cooper, his wife, Elizabeth S. Jacobs, age 27, and their young son, Morris, who was seven years old. 
Jacob, listed as a laborer, and Rachel were also in the house, as well as Rhoda, who was 25 at the time. Joan Brown Derry, who has done extensive genealogy research on her family, has an interesting take on the situation. And this is a quote from Joan Derry. I wondered why Jacob, Rachel, and Rhoda, already insane, were living with the Jacobs family in the 1860 Illinois census. Had they lost their home? Who were the Jacobs in relationship to the Derrys? Then I read about the laws in Illinois and the poor. It said the following. Public care of the poor in Illinois began in 1819. In that year, the General Assembly passed a law mandating public care and maintenance of those unable to support themselves and without family support. County overseers of the poor farmed out care of the destitute to private caregivers. I wonder if the elderly Jacob and Rachel, ages 65 and 63, with an insane daughter, couldn't manage any more on their own and applied to the county commissioners for assistance. So, Jacob was mourning his wife, who had just died relatively young, and living in someone else's home with an insane daughter to care for can't have been easy on anyone involved. We don't know if Elizabeth Jacobs required Rhoda to help with any chores around the house, but one thing is certain. Even if she'd been asked, Rhoda was not capable of even the simplest household work. She didn't have the patience to spend to bend scrubbing over a wash tub on laundry day. She didn't have the patience to stand outside of the clothesline, snapping the dresses to get the wrinkles out, smoothing the pants, lining up the towels before pegging them to the line. She didn't have the patience to stand at a kitchen table kneading bread until it was as smooth and plump as a baby's bottom, then tuck it into a loaf pan ready for the oven. Rhoda wasn't capable of doing any of the boring, repetitive tasks that were required of a farm woman on the Illinois frontier. Eggs would go ungathered if left to Rhoda's care, or get smashed against the hen house wall if she succumbed to one of her fits of rage. A nervous cow wouldn't stand still to be milked. And Rhoda certainly wasn't up to the more perilous chores, like baking with a wood-fired stove, dipping candles into hot wax for hours at a time, or stirring a pot full of boiling lye to make soap. We don't know if Rhoda had the ability or even the desire to help in her own recovery. That first blow, losing Charles in such a dramatic way, plus being held in Jacksonville for two years, may have simply broken her spirit beyond all hope of repair. Was Rhoda still mourning the loss of Charles after all that time? Or had her personality warped into something darker, more savage? Did the shock of that early loss shatter her psyche, letting other pathologies, paranoia, anxiety, violence, slither through the cracks? Whatever the cause of Rhoda's troubles, we do know that after Rachel's death, Jacob was no longer able to keep Rhoda in the home in which the family was boarding. The request of the county overseer notwithstanding, James and Elizabeth Jacobs may have insisted Rhoda be removed from their home. Perhaps, without Rachel's calming influence on Rhoda, they may have feared for their young son's safety. So, Jacob made the heart-wrenching decision to have Rhoda committed to the Adams County Almshouse. I wonder if what they would are there any theories on what she might like current day maybe you know back then there probably were no you know um diagnoses for it but i wonder you know like now if they have any theories about what she might have been suffering from I have some kind of yeah, <laughs> I am about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, when people talk about Rhoda in the present day, uh, the first diagnosis they can they always come up with is schizophrenia. Right. Mm-hmm. But and and. Back in the day, back in, in that time, schizophrenia was, was called dementia precox, precox being the Latin oh. word for early. 
So early onset dementia. But she wasn't really at the right age for dementia precox to set in. Um, There's also epilepsy is kind of thrown about too, Um, specifically temporal lobe epilepsy. Um, It causes hallucinations. Um, You know, that, that could have been the reason for Rhoda seeing witches flying around the cabin, we, it, it it still doesn't exactly fit. Um, so I, 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 I thought about both of those diagnoses, both of these possible diagnoses, very, very carefully. But I decided that neither one of them was precise enough to describe what happened with Rhoda. Uh-huh. Now, I discovered something that I think does fit. I think that Rhoda Derry suffered from something called adjustment disorder. Um, Somebody's suffering from adjustment disorder, and it's usually, it usually comes on in the late teens. Um, they develop emotional and behavioral symptoms as a reaction to a stressful event. It's almost like PTSD, but there is, there is one stressful trigger that sends somebody spiraling down into this disorder where they just can't get past it. Um, yeah. It's also called situational depression because it's tied to, it, it, it's, it's almost like clinical depression in that you know, this, uh, people have a loss of interest in daily activities, feelings of hopelessness. Um, right. Yeah, but, but it's, I believe that this is what she was suffering from. Yeah, I mean, it has and to be some sort down. of, it, it almost has to be some sort of, uh, you know, um, anxiety yeah. or stress. I mean, just claw your it's own connect, eyes yeah. out. I mean, yeah. that's Can just you imagine? I mean, anxiety. Yeah, yeah. and we have, we have Nancy's threat of a curse as the stressor. Mm-hmm. We have Rhoda's reaction yeah. to losing her fiancé and being <laughs> being threatened with being cursed. And that is the stressor that sends her spiraling down into this this adjustment disorder where she just can't snap out of it. And the interesting yeah. thing is that with adjustment disorder, there is some medication for it and there's some herbal remedies for it, like kava and St. John's wort. But mostly oh. nowadays, yeah, it's usually treated with kava. But nowadays, what they usually do, in addition to the herbal remedies, is it's talk therapy. You talk it out. And the fascinating uh-huh. thing is that if you catch it early, if you catch it within the first six months of the stressor happening, it responds very well to talk therapy. But and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the therapy they did at Jacksonville was mostly talk therapy because they didn't have any medication. It was, right. well, besides like laudanum and stuff. But it was mostly talk therapy that the doctors were interested in. But Rhoda was not committed to Jacksonville until two years after her confrontation with Nancy. Mm -hmm. So that six-month window came and went. So, yeah, she she did not benefit from that talk therapy opportunity. So it was just too late for her. Yeah, yeah. Kava, that's interesting. That you can buy that in herbal stores. I've used it, but I don't remember what it was for. Yeah, <laughs> what is it normally used for? <laughs> it's it's used for calming. Um, I I remember I used, the very yeah. first experience I had with kava. Um, I I've got a lot of stress in my life for, for yeah. reasons I won't go into right now. But um, yeah, I remember the very first dose of kava I took, and it was just. I, I got it from from Kroger's of all places, and I, I yeah. took the recommended dosage, and and I was <laughs> I was on the way to work. I remember exactly at what point in my drive to work that this kicked in, and I remember feeling this boiling murk of stress coming on, but it was like I was standing on a thick pane of glass. It was like I was standing on a oh. pane of glass about two inches thick, and I could see below me this this churning gray cloud of anxiety and anger and fear and depression, but it wasn't touching mm-hmm. me. 
It was all away from me. That was my experience with kava, and oh, it's brilliant stuff. <laughs> wow. I, it was so now I know comforting. what I used it for. Yeah. I need to get yeah, I used it to try to fall. Yeah, I used it to try to fall asleep because I'm always yeah. trying to find ways oh, to fall yeah. asleep. I, I don't remember it working, though, but, you know, nothing works. Valerian's better for that. Yeah. Valerian stinks. Valerian yeah. smells like Satan's dirty socks. So if you can get past that, <laughs> well, if you can get in a tablet form and just throw it back and gulp something down to wash it down with and just hold your nose for a few moments and until you swallow it, uh, then it's okay. And Valerian is very good at helping you sleep. Yeah. I'm, I'm oh, fascinated that I'm fascinated that after you know, Tamara and I are both you know lifelong you know ghost story lovers and. We've never mm-hmm. heard. Oh, I haven't. I shouldn't speak for you. No, Tamara. I've never heard you of this. Right? No, you can't. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've never heard of this. This is this this story. This Rhoda Dairy story is is. Yeah. It seems yeah. so. <laughs> it's so fascinating. It's hard to believe that it hasn't been pushed up front a little more. I thought so yeah. too, and I'm intensely yeah. grateful that I'm the one who gets to do this. I know, I right? Mean, <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a lucky break! Seriously, <laughs> I am just yeah. so geeked about this story. I love it, and and I'm so glad that I get, I'm the one who gets to tell it to people. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I there, there's there's mention of her in the historical record of the of, of the Peoria State Hospital. Uh, she's mm-hmm. mentioned in the history books of it. And um, actually, her great-great-grand-nephew, um, Doc Derry, actually wrote a biography of her, which is which was intensely useful to me because that gave me the bare-bones story of her life and all the dates and everything and told me about mm-hmm. Mal Derry as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that was a real find to find his biography. And then I took it and expanded upon it and kind of looked at the social pressures on a young woman of the mid-19th century and what what was it like growing up Rhoda Derry? I mean, right. we at the Peoria State Hospital, our, our volunteers and we who love the hospital and its history, we think of her as one of our resident spirits and we love her for that. Right. But right. I wanted to look at her as a young woman. I wanted yeah. to look at her as a girl in love. I wanted to to put that face of her out to, for the public as well. Right. And she as wasn't as always so, that, that scarecrow in the picture. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. As far as, yeah. as, as far as you know, was she completely normal before this happened? Yeah. As yeah. far as we know, yeah. She was perfectly normal yeah. childhood, uh, growing up on the frontier, healthy farm girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I mean, wow. <laughs> <I'm> in love. <laughs> so yeah, aside from her idea. family being uh-huh. poor, she was just like you know, just just an ordinary kid. Right. Yeah. So in and, the spirit of Halloween you, and and what you do best, what are some of the ghost stories about her? Is there any experiences yeah. or records of things like that? Yes. The stories about Rhoda Derry began in the months after she died. Really? As far back as 1906 and 1907, there were there were reports of nurses seeing Rhoda still sitting on the porch of the cottage where she used to live. So oh, wow. yeah, Rhoda's ghost stories go back way back. <laughs> um, wow. One of the most important facets of Rhoda's lore, Rhoda's personal story, is that she picked up the habit of chewing tobacco when she was still in her teens. And um, part of the weirdness of Rhoda's situation, this is after she came back from Jacksonville and before Rachel died, um, she mm-hmm. was known for fortune-telling, just the same as her grandmother oh, was. Oh, really? Yes. But wow. I don't know, something in her delivery was just a little a bubble off a of plum because people weren't impressed by this. They were just weirded out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
if you it, it was said that if you visited the dairy cabin and gave Rhoda a piece of chewing tobacco, she would tell your fortune for you. And uh, she did this. She um, she you know asked some this guy showed up to the cabin and she asked him for a piece of chaw and he did. He gave it to her, and then he she told him, you know, Mr. Heron, you're you're here to sell uh, bridle and tack to my father, and. Uh-huh. Wow. I don't know what it was in her delivery, but the guy just turned tail and ran. He was like, "This is too creepy for me." <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, and she she retained that habit, you know, even in the Peoria State Hospital. If she knew that you had tobacco in your pocket, she would crab across the floor. She could no longer walk, of course, but she could Cry. get around using her hands and knees. She would crab across the floor on her knuckles and pull on your pants leg and ask for some chaw. And she could no longer wow. speak either, but she got your attention by pulling on your pants leg. So that's part mm-hmm. of Rhoda's lore, is that if you are anywhere on the hilltop, because she loved that entire hilltop so much, if you're anywhere on the hilltop and you feel a tugging on your pants leg and smell chewing tobacco, that's Rhoda trying to get your attention. Now, have you ever gone up there with uh, chewing tobacco in your pocket and I have indeed. I have. <laughs> I I have smelled chewing tobacco. I was with a group of of ghost hunters, and we were in the Pollock Hospital, the tuberculosis ward. And um, since Rhoda passed away from TB, and um, we were in the women's ward, and the the energy there is traditionally more laid back than everywhere else in the building, so. Uh-huh. There wasn't a lot going on, so to pass the time, I told Rhoda's story, and everybody was really impressed by it. And then we mm-hmm. decided to rejoin the rest of the group. And as we were walking out of the women's ward, every single last one of us smelled chewing tobacco. Wow. wow. Yeah. She, she liked so that it. That was really neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had the great good fortune this past July to be invited along on an investigation um, it was Shadow Hunters and two other paranormal groups. There was a group of three groups that got together and decided to go on this paranormal road trip. <laughs> and oh, we fun. were the last stop. And they had the run of the Pollock Hospital and the cemeteries for two whole nights. It was brilliant. I uh, have been to the Pollock Hospital dozens of times, and I have never seen it that active. It was wonderful. And we visited Rhoda's grave, and we we stood next to a Utica crib in the museum. It was it was one of ours. It wasn't Rhoda's, but it was one of our collection that has made its way back uh-huh. to the museum. It's made its way back to the hilltop, and I had a part mm-hmm. in that, and I was so grateful for that. So yeah, we told Rhoda's story over and over during these these two nights, and we we went to her grave and we we put chewing tobacco on her headstone. And uh, Friday night, one of the investigators, Liz Shackelford, was in a room with some other investigators, and she felt somebody clasping her calf just below the knee. And, of course, she spoke up and said, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And one of the guides was with them, and they said, oh, it's probably Rhoda because that's our go-to. <laughs> if somebody yeah. is touching you and is below the knee, it's probably Rhoda trying to get your attention. <laughs> and wow. Liz is, she, she's open to that sort of thing. She's, um, she, is, uh, she describes herself as a walking radar dish. She's very empathic. And uh-huh. she had this experience on Friday night and all day Saturday in the hotel room. And when they were getting ready to come back to the, the Pollock for the second night of investigation. She was just brooding on this all day. She said to herself, oh my goodness, that's so unfair. Here she was, she spent decades trapped in this crib and she could no longer walk and she was reduced to crawling around on the floor and even in the afterlife she's still crawling around on her hands and knees. That is, that's wretched, that's so unfair, that makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And then she got to the hospital again that night, and she became aware of Rhoda on the floor next to her. Ooh. And Ooh. Rhoda, <laughs> Rhoda looked up at Liz, made sure that Liz was aware of her, 
And then she got to her knees and then stood up and gestured to herself as if to say, see, it's me and I'm fine. I'm whole. Oh. Wow. wow. And, and Liz said she, she yanks on people's pants legs so that you know it's her. Because Uh she knows, she is aware of these stories that are being told about her. And she's she's aware of the work that I'm doing. And, oh, boy, was that precious to me. (laughs) She's aware aware of her lore. She's aware that if she wants somebody to let her, if she wants to let somebody know she's there, that's the way she does it, Mm -hmm. to let you know that it's her, is tugging on the pants. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, Dr. Zeller, Zellner? Zeller's name, Zeller. Has he yeah. ever been spotted around there? His ghost? Or? Yes, he has. <laughs> I have uh-huh. a photograph that is. It's online on the Fractured Spirits fan page on Facebook, and it's also the very last photograph in the book Fractured Spirits. Um, I was with a group that was. We, we were doing an investigation outside the Bowen Building because we were not allowed in at that point in time. Um, because of asbestos, but somebody snapped a picture that shows Dr. Zeller looking out of his third floor apartment in the Bowen. Dr. Zeller was so, yeah, he was so well respected. He was just admired and almost revered through his lifetime for his pioneering work in the treatment of the mentally ill. And even today, his name is spoken with reverence. Um, he was so admired that um, he he passed away in 1936, and um, he uh, I'm sorry 1938, uh, mm-hmm. and he spent the last couple of years of his life living in the Bowen Building. Now the Bowen Building was um, it was the it was called the Employees Building at that point in time. There were um, nurses' classrooms and the nurse's dormitory. And on the third floor, there were apartments. Um, The doctors, a couple of the doctors lived there, and if people came from out of town to visit their relatives in the asylum, there were apartments for their overnight use as well. But there were apartments dedicated for the doctor's use. And after Dr. Zeller retired, uh, he and his wife, Sophie, never had any children. They considered the patients of the asylum to be their children. So after his retirement, um, Dr. Zeller, he, he was having a couple of conversations with Mr. Bowen, who the Bowen became named for. And it took two of these conversations for this to sink in. Mr. Bowen said, hey, you know what, we'd really like it if you'd move into one of these apartments. And Dr. Zeller just kind of blew him off. And then they had a second conversation a few weeks later, and Mr. Bowen said, you know, if you and Sophie would like to move into one of these apartments on the third floor of the employees building, we'd really love to have you around. And Dr. Zeller looked at Mr. Bowen and he's like, oh, let me get this straight. You you want me to stay at the asylum? And Mr. Bowen said, yeah, yeah, we really like having you around. We want you to stay. We want you to live here. On the hilltop with us. Uh-huh. Oh, and this, this man, this ramrod straight military man, this 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 military guy with this bristly mustache and this fierce demeanor, he broke down in tears at the oh. thought that he wanted that people wanted him around. <laughs> and wonderful. So, yeah, and he and Sophie moved into the apartment and that's where they spent the last years of their lives. Oh, what a nice story. It is. Yeah, not all ghost stories. Yeah, not all ghost stories are scary. They're not. Right. And what, what would you say? I have, a, I have a question for you about this. It's such a, it's such a, you know, it's so, this, this, this whole story is so moving on so many levels. It's, it's scary. It's also sweet. It's also very sad, tragic. What did you come away with? from this, from, from learning about this, that you, that you feel, I don't know, will always be with you. Is there something that, that 
just really affected you about this story? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I can tell, I can tell when you speak, I can tell when you speak about it, that there's a certain um, weight for lack of a better yeah. term. And, 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 and so I really feel like this has really um, affected you deeply and I could yeah. be wrong about that, but, but, but I do think I'm right. And so I'm curious about what too. that is. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Alistair, you haven't read the entire book yet, so, so no. you haven't gotten to this part yet, but um, I'm pretty sure Tamara has read the entire book, so I think she kind of knows what's coming next. Um, I I feel very close to Rhoda because I've gotten to know her as a person <laughs> rather than just as a ghost. Right. And when I was working on this particular book, my idea was to not only tell the story of Rhoda's life, but also take a look at the pressures of society that shaped her. What was it like growing up as a young woman in the middle of the 19th century? I mean, you had... This was the rise of, of women's magazines, Ladies' Home Journal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Godie's Ladies' Book. These are some of the yeah. Ladies' Home Journal we still have around today. And yeah. these magazines encouraged women to go out and join the workforce. Women were working in factories. They were making shirtwaists. <laughs> and uh, they were earning their own money. They were paying their own way in their family. But their options were still very, very limited. You could work in a factory, or you could be a teacher, or you could be domestic help. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, yeah. there was this paradox of newfound freedom that was still very tightly restricted. So I thought to myself, well, what other period in history was rather like this, and who do I know that grew up in, in that period of history? So I started to think about the middle of the 20th century. You've got the rise of women's lib. You've got uh, Mademoiselle magazine encouraging people, encouraging women to go out and find jobs in this male-dominated workforce. And then they turn around and their very next article is about um, hand-beautifying tips for the secretaries. (laughs) And it's still... It's still, you know, you've got this the summer of love and you've got this newfound freedom, but it's still very restricted. So I thought, who yes. do I know that grew up in this time period, same as Rhoda grew up in the last century? Mm-hmm. My mother. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. My mother suffered very terribly from mental illness. And she went through a lot of the same things, not not, <laughs> not some of the horrors that, that Rhoda went through, but she battled uh-huh. mental illness just as surely as Rhoda did. So I was, oh. I took the liberty of telling my mother's story as well as Rhoda's to draw the parallel between two young mm-hmm. women, two young, very pretty women, <laughs> living uh-huh. 100 years apart. So, so that's yeah. my contribution. So that's that's yet another reason that this story is so very close to my heart. And that it's definitely explains the, yeah. that definitely explains the like I said, I don't know what to call it. Just there's just something in your voice when you when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Weight is a good term for it. Yeah. yeah, weight. It's a certain it's a certain weight. Yeah. It's a certain reverence. Love it's a certain, and respect. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So wow. that being said, what what is your greatest hope in terms of, of the readers? What do you want them to come away with having read this I want book? people to know that, that the mentally ill are not to be feared. The mentally ill, no matter what they're suffering from, and God knows that can be a suffering thing, they're not to be feared. You don't have to be afraid of them. Yeah. They're people. Yes that just happen to be suffering from something that involves the mind instead of the lungs or the stomach or the legs. That's right. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nice. yes, it messes with your personality, and that's a, that's a terrifying mm-hmm. thing. People it fear what they don't is. understand. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, but it's somebody suffering from PTSD or depression or 
something like that is no different at the very base of it than somebody suffering from a sprained ligament or right. COPD or appendicitis or something. Right, it's right. just yeah. a mental illness rather than a physical illness. And that's right, what I want yeah. people to, to come away with is we we can't treat the mentally ill any differently than we treat the physically ill. It's not fair. Nice. Nice. And I think that this is a, I think that this is a, you know, the, the, these, you know, this, this horrible story of, you know, what she went through during those 44 years Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, that'll, you know, change the way you think. And, you know, thank God we've come, we've progressed, you know, as Mm -hmm. much as we have. That's just awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. We still have so many rotadaries in this country. Yeah. What we no. need are more doctors, Ellers. What we need are more Peoria State Hospitals. <laughs> yes, there are rotadaries all over this country. They may not be in a Utica uh, crib, but they are suffering just the same. Oh yeah, oh that's frightening. I'm so glad that you found this story and shared it with the world, and that you do Thank what you, you. do. And that you do mm-hmm. what you do, it matters, and it's it's great. And and you know, you. I, you know, one, you know, we're gonna, of course, have you back because we always do. And you, yeah. know, you, you always have you always have the best stories. So we always do. we always spend we always spend the whole hour talking about these fascinating <laughs> stories. But one of these days, we're gonna have you, and we're gonna talk about you. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about yeah. And, seriously, you as a, as a yeah. person, you as as you know what you what you do. As a ghost and hunter, yeah. Yeah, I'm that serious. sounds wonderful. As we a matter of fact, about I, am working, I am working on my next project. The the, the ideas uh-huh. are beginning to come together. Of course, I'm I'm doing a lot of promotion right now for 44 Years in Darkness, but I have started thinking right. about the next project. Um, if I can get enough material, what I'd really like to do is write a book on animal hauntings and haunted zoos. Ooh, ooh, back yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the noise everybody makes when I tell them that. That's very gratifying. And my husband is the one who comes up with the titles for me. He's the one responsible for the title, 44 Years in Darkness. And he came up with Fractured Spirits for me. And he came up with a title for the new book and then told me I was categorically not allowed to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Why that? (laughs) His title for my new book about haunted Mm -hmm. zoos, Flinging Boo. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. I like it. You. Oh. No. <laughs> have, have heard, I, I, I love it. But I, I got to ask you: Have you ever heard about the old LA Zoo uh, in Los Ooh. Angeles in Grant Park? It's. Uh, I can. I can email you some photos I've taken there. Um, yes, I think I've got a newspaper article link I can give you. It's. Uh, it's actually open as a park, but if you walk through there, the new LA Zoo is, you know, that zoo was open when I was a little kid, and there's a new one lower down, but it is so fascinating. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can walk around inside the cages and the settings and all. It, it's, yeah, you, you'd like that. There's some fodder wow. for you, good reason to come here. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So oh, that cool. being oh, said, we're about out of time. We will definitely Thank have you, you back. And um, Thank you. Yes. And uh, so before we let you go, um, could you tell the listeners, well, first of all, the new book that, that is uh, 44 Years in Darkness. Check it out. It's great. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and what you do? Absolutely. Visit me on sylviaschultz.wordpress.com. The last name is S-H-U-L-T-S. And I am blogging every couple of days about interesting things in my life and about the book and fun things that I come across that I like to share with people. And I love to hear from people, so leave a comment. That would be wonderful. I'm also on Facebook. There are fan pages for Fractured Spirits and for Ghosts of the Illinois River. So visit and become a fan and learn all about the Peoria State Hospital. Yes, good stuff. (laughs) All right. So that being said, thank you for being a guest. You are always welcome. And we look forward to having you again. 
And Excellent. we'll be in touch. Yep, we'll be in touch. But of course, have a happy Halloween. And I'm, thank I'm, you, I'm you as well. Looking, I'm looking very forward yeah. to this uh, haunted, the, the animal haunted book. That'll be great. <laughs> yes. And, yes, I'm hoping I can find enough material for it. But I, oh, I'm sure if can. I go poking around, I'll find stuff. You will. And <laughs> a lot of us have comes, stories. Yeah. <laughs> it comes out October 10th. So look for it on Amazon on October 10th. Nice. All right. All right. Make sure um, and tag us the day it comes out. Yes, do. <laughs> and I'm do. very pleased to be able to say that it's also going to be available as an audio book. Oh, wow. Cool. Great. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I just finalized that last, or started the wheels in motion for that last week, and I'm super jazzed about that. That's cool. Yeah. That's we, need to think of, we need to consider that, too. We haven't. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to cool. tell you about that. Yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so thank you for being on, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, uh, Until next, well, actually, it's not next week. Uh, We're doing a special show um, tomorrow night where um, I'm the guest uh, talking about my new book that came out. Uh, So until tomorrow night, I guess, we wish you haunted nights. And sweet screams. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.